Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight are two. Well, I, I've got two guests tonight, or two. I have one fan hole and one guest. So I'm going to let them sound off and shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey guys, this is Tony, and tonight we're going to prove that I guess there is interest in a young Han Solo movie. There is, there totally is. And of course, joining us is a, a returning guest to Fanholes Podcast. This is going to be, I, I got to do timey-wimey stuff, but this is going to be his second appearance on Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them?, it is John Vanover from the Action Figure Blues Podcast and TV and Film Toys. Say what's up, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? Cool. All right. So what we decided for tonight's episode, the theme of the episode, is Marvel Star Wars comic books. And this was suggested by Tony. And this is a loose, ever-so-loose tie-in to Star Wars The Last Jedi, which, if you're listening to this now, hopefully you should be listening to this somewhere along the lines of when that film is being released in December 15th, 2017. And we each sort of randomly picked a Marvel issue of Star Wars to discuss that we particularly enjoyed. And I guess we're going in chronological order. So again, you know, this is this is I think this happened before in the last show, so I don't mean to do it to him again, but we're kind of putting John on the spot. But he, oh, he has the he has the <laughs> the earliest chronological Star Wars comic, so since we're going in chronological order, I think we're gonna start with him. But John, what what Star Wars comic did you pick? And I guess if there's any any kind of information you wanna give us on like maybe where you picked it up and, and kind of, you know, why you selected this for the show, then, you know, feel free to, to let us know that. And, and then we'll, you know, sort of talk about the comic. Well, you know, you kind of told me what you guys were doing and I kind of looked at it and I was originally going to pick a much later after Jedi book, but I, I, after seeing what you guys picked, I went, you know, I really want to go back to the, the roots kind of for some of the Star Wars fans out there because you know, I think you guys are maybe just slightly younger than me, but comic books were about the only thing we had to keep Star Wars going, you know, back when I was a kid. And where we may have got all the cool toys from the movies, the, the comic books kind of maybe drove how we played with them. 
as kids. You know, you had those stories that kind of took place that kind of showed you what stormtroopers did. And it wasn't just this, oh, hey, here's the Death Star. Let's go fly and blow it up. You know, it kind of fleshed out the characters a bit. So with that in mind, I picked out the Marvel Star Wars run number 28 from October. I'm trying to think this is probably what, 79, maybe. Yeah, that's right. So. And it's got a great cover. There's a ton of bugs attacking the Falcon. And uh, it's kind of, Marvel does this sometimes. The cover says Cavern of the Crawling Death, but that's not the actual title. The actual title is Whatever Happened to Jabba the Hutt. It kind of is filling in that, hey, where's where's Jabba? You know, why hasn't he been following Han Solo all over the galaxy? And just for the Star Wars folks out there, that title only has one T in the Hutt. (laughs) That was before the the canonized double T spelling that originated in 1983 with Return of the Jedi. And it was also before we even saw what Jabba looked like, because it was even before Empire. This actually has the, oh, we'll call him the monkey-faced Jabba that that was popular in the, the Marvel comics. I think he turned up in the a movie adaptions. You, you made me look up Wikipedia, because there's actually, like, a little more history now because of like novels and expanded universe canon that Disney has since like thrown out the window. So I don't know if you guys yeah. want to talk about that later on. Well, yeah, because they actually one of the reasons I thought of this is they 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 came up with a figure for this this guy just a couple years ago because his name's Mossep Bened, I think, right? Mossep something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he just had one a... of the the decoys of Jabba. Is that what the, what they decided yeah, I to think, do? I think that's the the sort of way to to canonize the Star Wars comics where they said he was like, basically like he's like Java's like overzealous accountant that runs around space, like using Java's name, but only with one T, you know? So that's basically supposed to account for like why there are appearances, you know, in the Marvel comics. And I think, I, I, I think maybe in like, cause the, 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 the novel I think was called, Star Wars Kenobi. And I think they, they mm. like the, the author in that, like sort of, officialize that that notion that that it was you know a guy that was working for java but also kind of used his his name as well yeah they also did that with the short irish actor who was in the original cut of star wars he was a decoy for people who actually saw that footage is like he was java's avatar for java he, he would talk for java so does this mean that java was like the first negan where all his people just called themselves java <laughs> and, um, it's possible. It's possible. Huh? Huh? You've got Pro, you've Pro, had, Proto Deacon. <laughs> so. You've got Java running around with uh, with a uh, lightsaber named Lucille with a bunch of chainmail on it or something. I don't know. <laughs> Not to get too oh. nerdy, I was going to say though, and this is where my Star Wars nerd is going to really show. He kind of reminds me of an Aqualish. Which, if you're a big Star Wars nerd, you know what it is. If you don't know, that is what Ponda Baba was, who was the guy who was hanging out with Dr. Evazan in the Mos Eisley Cantina. Except he doesn't have a butt for a face. He just, he has a mouth. But he does look kind of like a, a walrus monkey thing. <laughs> I, I see it more in the comic book version than the actual, like, still shots from the film. The, the still shots from the film look like a somebody took a baby seal face and just put it like, like it was too small for the makeup, but they still pasted it right in the middle of somebody's face. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but no, that's actually why I picked this one. Just cause I, I, it's, it's an interesting little callback because, you know, as kids, we didn't know what Jabba looked like. And until Jedi came out, this is what I thought Jabba looked like. You know, I thought they had real reason to make him look like this. You know, that, that's kind of why I picked this just cause I thought it was a, a neat little, and then tying into the action figure, obviously, cause he's probably one of the, I don't know. I've only bought like 
maybe 10 Star Wars figures now in the last couple of years, and, and he was one of them, and just because of this comic book. Are, are you uh, on the edge of your seat for a Black Series <laughs> accountant <I>, Java? <laughs> I have none of the six-inch Black Series. I just I can't bring myself. Star Wars figures are not six inches. I, I can't. I can't do it. Well, as, as far as the humans go, you're not missing much. So, <laughs> yeah. If I was going to do that, I'd probably go the figure arts route just because I, I think they're probably a little better figure. Yeah. yeah. But I'm still not going that way. Got to save up for those common writers. So, right. I, I think this is a cool issue, John, because we, we of course, th- there's a lot of people who love Han Solo and Chewbacca. They're, you know, a, a classic team. This is definitely a buddy kind of adventure for them, too. And one of the things that's really kind of interesting is the Marvel series, it gets a lot of flack sometimes because it hasn't aged well. And I understand that. But I think the banter between Han and Chewie is like spot on in this issue. I will say the art is not perfect representations, though. No, Chewbacca looked really weird in the early issues. <laughs> It's interesting because I, it's like I have a familiarity with Carmine Infantino from like The Flash and everything, but obviously he did a lot of issues of Star Wars as well. So it's it's interesting how like it, it was funny because I think I was reading certain things on how Marvel Comics had the license to use the likenesses of certain movie people but not other movie people, mm. and I'm pretty sure they had the rights to use like if they wanted to use the likeness of you know, Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford or Carrie Fisher or whatever, that was fine in terms of this Star Wars license. But like in the case of something like, say, Close Encounters of the Third Kind or Planet of the Apes, they couldn't like literally sort of have this, you know, kind of, you know, painted image of of Richard Dreyfuss or Charlton Heston or anything because that wasn't cleared by the license and stuff. But having said that, I mean, I, I, I don't... I'm not going to decry the artwork, but, I mean, it's not intended to be a likeness of Harrison Ford. It's sort of intended to be a, a comic book visualization of, of Han Solo and Chewbacca, you know, in, in sort of, you know, Carmen Infantino's own style, you know? So it's like, I yeah. just kind of took it as that way. Like, they're kind of supposed to be action-packed and, and shooting their blasters and, you know, running around, you know, space in the Millennium Falcon and everything. Yeah. This, is more, this is more Kenner's 90s Star Wars. <laughs> That's what I was just gonna say. That the Chewie especially reminds me of that. They're more they're more buff and, and and hulked out and stuff. So so what 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 about the actual like villain of this issue? John mentioned it. The, the main antagonist, even though Jabba is a pain in the ass, are the stone mites who can eat through stuff and everything. And the coolest thing about it is is even though with you know the Disney appropriation of the license and everything, a lot of the expanded universe stuff is now just called Legends. Han Solo did mention that they were the, did mention the uh, Clone Wars in this issue, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean you you see a lot of that, but you got none of it really jives with what you find out later. You know. Yeah, I, I feel like a Marvel Star Wars often, as a kid when I was reading these comics, and there was any mention of the Clone Wars, I would get all giddy. Like the the issue I think of the most is. I think 68, where they go into the whole, you know, Boba Fett origin in the Marvel comics, and they meet Fen Shaisha and all that kind of stuff, and, and like, they, they go into, there's, like, a double-page spread of how the the Mandalorians were part of the Clone Wars, and you saw all these hooded figures that were, like, handing them images of Princess Leia to assassinate, and, the, like, all this kind of stuff, and so it, like, spurred your imagination a great deal, so I, I, I kind of point to those in instances like this, like, especially 
you know, the instance of, oh, the stone mites were this biological weapon developed in the Clone Wars, you know, and you just thought, oh, how cool is that? And then, of course, when you, you know, I mean, with, with some exceptions of, you know, maybe the Gendy Tartakovsky, you know, animated stuff, I, I was kind of like, where's my cool Clone War? You know, like, where did that go, <laughs> you know? What happened? One thing this issue does not have anything of, except for like maybe a panel or two, is like any imperial presence. It's like it's all Jabba and like you know the stone mites. Do you, do you think it's kind of cool that they decided not to, you know, like always have it be you know Autobots versus Decepticons, you know, to to you know do, draw a parallel? It's actually like you know Han Solo's fighting Jabba. He hasn't. He's you know he got away from the Empire in this issue. See, to me, that's it's part of the other reason I picked this. And I, I should summarize it, and I, I'll do that here in a second. But this is more what I expected Han to do after Star Wars. This made sense to me. He's got to go take care of his debt. He's got to go do something with this, not pal around with the Alliance for, you know, two years or whatever it was. <laughs> Basically, it starts off Han and Chewie are trapped in a cave on the planet Orlon or Orlon or um, uh, Krylon. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's Orlon. But Jabba has tracked Han and Chewie there. They they were escaping some Imperial forces from a gambling facility known as the Wheel, which had a really cool cover with basically 2001 Space Odyssey space station with a red skull in the middle of it. But that's a that's a different comic book for a different day, probably. Han and Chewie are trapped in this cave. Jabba and his goons are sitting outside in Jabba's personal ship, the Void Raker, which doesn't even look big enough to hold the real Jabba. And they're negotiating back and forth, you know. Han and Chewie are running out of food, but keep blasting, you know, the goons that, that Jabba sends in. And it, it's obvious that Jabba does not hire the best quality of mercenary soldier. <laughs> because they keep dropping like flies through the, the first few pages of this. All of his goons want to just take and throw a bunch of grenades in there and hopefully take out, you know, Han and Chewie. And Jabba's like, no, no, I want to keep the Falcon. That's that's worth some money. They get stuck on this planet. They'd used this as a base before during their smuggling operations. They kind of built a little hideout there. And they went back there after, you know, sustaining some damage. So that's how Jabba tracks them there. Turn pages. Han had left a, a can empty tin of food out one of the stone mites happens to find it, which looks like a little bug. I kind of wonder if these were inspired by alien being able to eat anything, you know, acid type things. But basically he's like, oh yeah, these are biological weapon and they can eat through us. They can eat through the ship. They're going to, you know, if, if there's more than one, we're, we're, we're doomed. Han and Chewie start running back to the ship. And as they do, Jabba's goons decide, oh, we're going to go disobey Jabba's orders and use some grenades, throw them in there, basically open up cracks in the ceiling. So we've got these hordes of insects pouring down from the ceiling onto the Falcon that are going to eat it. Jabba finally gets his guys to, after they they, they want to clear the debris and see if they can get in there, Han and Chewie are in a hover in the Falcon, which I thought was kind of cool because they're, they're hovering the Falcon with basically a de-icer on to try and get the bugs off of it, which, which was a neat idea. Jabba's guys get partway through the debris, realize one of their own guys is there with a stone mite, and that comes into play later because they were using this big drill to get in there. Neat letters page. Stan Lee cameo. Oh, and for the listeners at home, he is turning pages in what we call a comic book. That, that, that's a thing that's <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. I actually am. I, I, I could do a whole episode on the ads in this comic book because it, it, they are perfect. 
like they are representative of the time. Basically what happens is Han and Chewie have been in this hover mode. They're like, oh, we could stay here all day. And then they start blowing, as the Falcon's prone to do, they start blowing things up in the, you know, in the cockpit. Han's like, wait, I got an idea. If those stone mites have been up there, then this rock's probably just a bunch of Swiss cheese. They blow their way out through the ceiling and pretty soon they're contacted by Jabba as they get away into space and Jabba's like, hey, Han, old buddy, old pal, and he's wearing a spacesuit now. The figure was not in spacesuit. That would have only been the only thing that would have made it cooler. And Jabba's like, hey, Han, old buddy, old pal, you want to pay your pay your debt? And we find that in that, that cannon that Jabba's guys were blasting through the the, the rock debris with they brought back a stove mite into the ship and basically Jabba's the only one left. He jets on out of his ship and a little jetpack over to the Falcon. Han basically says, oh yeah, you want to come in? Yeah, that'll cost you extra. So we're kind of left at the end of the comic with Jabba on the outside and Han and Chewie on the inside and making it look like Han's debt's going to be paid. But we all know that doesn't come to fruition. That's kind of the short version of it. I, I will say that I think uh, in, in later comics, they, they do some reworking. So it'll jive, I guess, with the, the other comics where... Uh, you know, Han Solo does another infraction against Jabba, so he has another debt. He like he keeps pissing Jabba off, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured it was something like that. And then, and then when it all comes down to it, he was really just pissing off Jabba's accountant this whole time. I, I do like the ending because Han shows definite shades of his, you know, a new hope, I guess you would say, self. Because he's like, by the way, I'll let you in. But your suit's probably got like an hour or two of like air still. So, um, you know, I'm in no big hurry. <laughs> so just letting him hang on the ship. It's interesting because one thing I've noticed about, about particularly in those Marvel comics is the ships are never drawn the same way in any panel. Oh, no, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a Star Destroyer shown in one panel in a flashback and it, it, it's got too many little dome things on the top and, and the perspective's all wonky on it. But but the Falcon, for the most part in this one, has windows all the way around 360 degrees on the front of that cockpit module, which isn't really the case. It's really only 180 on the top. And, you know, apparently they can see, you know, underneath their feet now in, in this version of the Falcon. So <laughs> They have a glass-bottom boat. Yeah, and the Void Raker, even though it's not like in canon, you know, there's no film version of it, is like basically just a UFO, basically. <laughs> Yeah, with a with a hatch on the side. The, the stone yeah. mites, the stone mites are interesting. I really like, you know, kind of what they are because they're just little bugs, and they really don't show them in any great detail. But I, I it, it's an interesting little take on, uh, you know, a bad guy. Or like I said, it almost reminds me of the the alien face hugger acid thing. You know, the way they eat through yeah. everything. Yeah, I could see yeah. that, especially since it's you know 1979. I mean, it's 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 close enough in the same time frame that. It's possible that they, they could have influenced one another or something like that. You know what, though? It, it kind of made me think of the Minox a little bit, you know, like a, mm. another alien that is sort of accosting potentially the Falcon, although the stone might seem a lot more deadly than than the Minox, per se. I mean, I guess the Minox just kind of siphon off energy, but in the case of the stone mites, you're like, oh, well, they can conceivably just you know, eat your ship away if they really want to. So it definitely puts them in a, a sense of peril and everything. I, th I thought the art was cool with the way that they were, you know, it's like seemed like a like a monsoon planet, I guess. You know, if you use like the yeah. Lucas trope of like 
you know, the, the planets are all uniform, you know, it's like the entire planet's an ice planet, the entire planet's a, yeah. you know, a, a redwood forest in California, this, basically. This would be kind of you know? like, this would be like, kind of like Camino. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, and and it's like, it's, you know, basically Han and Chewie are like, you know, wet the whole time, and Han's giving Chewie shit about Wookiee for smelling bad when it's wet, and all that kind of stuff, and I, I think my favorite line of dialogue, though, was before they, they land on the planet, because in that previous comic where they were at the wheel you know it's like the ship got taken apart and then put back together so i guess the idea is the technicians that put it back together didn't quite do a bang-up job on it so now they're they're you know basically hiding away on this other planet for repairs and like the one of the lines of dialogue is you know chewy this thing's vibrating like a cantina dancer at a tatooine moisture festival you know it's just <laughs> like that's pretty funny yeah, apparently the guys who work at the wheel got uh, lost their jobs and uh, got jobs at Bespin apparently later on. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, really, character-wise, I think Han is spot on. You know, yeah, yeah, for yeah, a like, new like, hope, like... for post New Hope pre Empire, you know, without knowing what's going to come, I think he's spot on. Yeah, yeah, the writing is really good in this. The writing is really crisp, and you know, especially even though we've been kind of poking fun at not Jabba, he he does have some of the, I guess you would say, the feeling of like what Jabba would become in Return of the Jedi, you know? He, he is a gangster. He is a, you know, a businessman and all that kind of stuff. Well, it did... You know what You know what it kind of reminded me of? Like, the end sequence especially, because he he said... You know, when, when he kind of tries to make peace with Han because he knows his ass depends on it, you know, the, the line of dialogue is, well, Han, my boy. And all I could think of is the special edition. Like, when I read that, I didn't read Han, my boy. I read, I read the accountant going, on Maboki, <laughs> like, let, let me inside the ship, please. You know, like so. Yeah, he actually calls him. He actually calls him that a couple of times, so it's it's kind of neat. But yeah, I picked up on that as well. I mean, obviously, because that scene's included in in the comic. You know, I'm sure that they they knew what the dialogue was, so they just thought, oh, okay, well, we'll just grow it on that. But I mean, just to take and consider that that one little scene was all they had for a seed for Jabba. I, I think they fleshed him up pretty well. Yeah, I, I do like the, at the very end, some of the last words are, are basically thought balloons or, or, or I guess narration descriptions. Again, these are these are comics people. Not everybody just talks. There, There's actually, you know, exposition. Uh, Jabba is actually having inner monologue with himself thinking, all right, so what I'll do is I'll play Han's game and uh, I'll make a price, cut it in half, wait long enough to make it seem legitimate, and then I'll, you know, work it out to the best of my favor. You know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, you know? Well, you know, it's this is what I loved about comics back then is this is not written for the trade. This is a self-contained story, but you really get that sense they were coming from somewhere and going somewhere, even though it's a self-contained story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Han, Han Solo is done, but he, he's still in space. He's going somewhere, you know, the next issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and you know, like like we've been saying the whole time, I mean, this does. This does make reference to, I think, what is it, like Star Wars 18 or 19, whatever the, the wheel issue was. So you're like, oh, yeah. yeah, this this is like, you know, obviously the continuing adventures of your heroes. But, you know, I still feel like it's what John says. You can you can get an entire story out of this one comic. You know, it's, it's not, it's a done-in-one, but it has tethers to an ongoing story as well so uh, you could potentially enjoy it if you read it in sequence with all the other star wars issues or if you just kind of pluck it out of a batch of issues and read it by itself you still feel like you kind of had a 
a full meal. I can tell you that I probably pulled this off of a spinner rack at the gas station that was on base in the housing area when when I was when I was a kid. I doubt that I ever had more than unless they were reprints, you know, when you got them like three in a bag. I doubt that I ever had more than one single issue at a time, you know, in, in consecutively. It wouldn't be till much, much later till I'd go back and try and fill in a few gaps here and there. Yeah, Derek actually mentioned that you have pretty much the full run of the Marvel Star Wars series, right? I've got a pretty good chunk before Empire and I've got a lot I'm only missing like one or two, I think, after Jedi. Um, nice. Yeah. I remember when when I was getting these, I knew like one of my earliest books, you know, that could be considered something that someone bought for me from a spinner rack or what have you was the the Marvel Super Special that was Empire Strikes Back. Mm. And I, I usually mention this a bunch because, of course, I was really little at the time. So since I liked, quote unquote, liked the comic so much, you know, air quotes... I, I basically like took scissors to it and like cut out the pictures that I liked. So and it was like it was like I cut out like Luke hanging on the weather vane and like taped it on my wall and stuff like that. Like that's that I guess that's what you know, I don't know what you know, it was like that was just my little kid brain or whatever. I didn't I didn't sort of understand that, you know, that 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 I was destroying the comic. I just thought it was like, Oh, this is so cool like and and that's what I ended up doing with that. And then I, I I think pretty much like me getting stuff off the spinner racks, like this Marvel series essentially had been long done by that point. Like I, I remember mm. getting like, you know, sets of like the Return of the Jedi movie adaptions and stuff like that. But mainly when I discovered comic book stores, like specialty shops, then that's I think when I really started finding these in back issues and stuff and like i remember because i had strong memories of that empire strikes back marvel super special i think some of the first ones i got were it was like 39 to 44 were the issues that covered empire strikes back so i think those were some of the first ones that i i got and then you know over the years i kind of put together a bunch of stuff so at, at one point i mean i think probably by the time Phantom Menace had come out in theaters, I pretty much had, you know, all 107 issues of the Marvel Star Wars comic, but it took, it took a long time for that to happen, and then, you know, of course, they, they did not survive the Great Purge, so, you know, they, they, they were, they were purged, but, you know, it was, it, but it was something that I definitely, I think, I think at that point, I think because I was so into it, I think not only did I make sure I had all the marvel star wars books at the time but i was getting really into just you know any of the dark horse books like basically any you know blackthorn 3d comics like i was really kind of hell-bent on you know i was gonna have it all you know like just devouring thing. everything yeah, yeah yeah see i i haven't read hardly anything outside of the marvel run just because of either john honestly you know, my, my comic timing just never worked out for it. Yeah, I, I read a little bit of Dark Horse, but I was going to say that one of the best things about the early 90s is this was like, the, for four or five years, Star Wars was essentially dead. There were novels coming mm -hmm. out. There was, yeah, there was no media, no toy line, no TV show, no nothing. You, you, like, your, your only thing you were getting were the, the novels. And if you were a collector of the original Marvel series, that was the prime time, because you can go into a comic shop, and sure, the first four issues were still ungodly high, depending on their condition. 
but you could pick up like you know issues 80 through you know 100 for like you know 50 cents 75 cents a pop oh yeah oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you guys have the cover can we talk about the he-man luke on the cover in the corner for <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> that well, that yeah. that that's the power of the force to luke right there i think from from the toy line yeah i mean i think yeah. even i mean i'm sure we'll, we'll transition to it eventually but i think even in even in tony's comic i i feel like i had vibes of that where you can you know basically you see the, the you know you know not not to put too much of a point on it but you see the rippling muscles of luke skywalker popping through <laughs> his you know little farm boy you know white cloak or whatever like the you know in, in a lot of these so yeah for sure it, it kind of evokes that original star wars movie poster if anything yeah, oh, yeah. he's not a farm boy anymore he's a farm man <laughs> Similar to your your Empire story, I actually one of the first Star Wars comic books I remember getting was the second half of you know the big oversize first you know first movie. Ironically, Scott from the podcast he had the first half, but never had the second half, and I had the second half and he never had the first half. I, I remember, you know what I remember about those is I remember being like super confused because you know how like well i don't know maybe maybe you don't but like i i remember like early on in my comic collecting career i didn't completely understand the concept of like that there were reprints and originals and mm. certain things collected certain things so for a long time like like when i was explaining to you i would find these you know back issues and some of the first things i sort of attacked were like the literal movie adaptations so it's like i got 39 through 44 that was empire and i remember finding i i must have found a copy of you know star wars number one back then when i was a kid for maybe like five bucks in a back issue bin or something and i was all excited so i got that and then i found something at another store that i thought was issue number two and so I I was sitting there thinking like, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, one, two, three, four, five, like, I'm, you know, or whatever it was, like, I was feeling all proud and everything. But the two was actually the one that collected, like, I think issues like four through six, because they, yeah. you know, they, they repackaged it so many times because of its popularity. So, like, I didn't understand at the time until, like, I sort of cracked it open. I'm like, oh, wait, this isn't really, you know, issue number two. It's like issue number two of like uh, the special, special edition. edition series yeah. version, you know? And so I remember kind of like not understanding that at the time. And then sort of later, you know, going back and going, Oh, I have to get like the real issue number two. <laughs> well, ironically, I do remember this, that, that, that particular oversized issue came from the first time I was ever in Toys R Us. Oh, wow. Because we didn't have one. My part of the, my part of Michigan, far away from civilization, we didn't have one. We were on a trip and we were in Detroit or something. And I remember going to a Toys R Us and just like being completely blown away. But I remember getting that and reading it in the hotel room. We were eating KFC in the hotel room. And I remember just Ooh, you know, be, be, being on a, you know, a double bed as a kid. And this big comic book laid out in front of me and, and trying to read it. Uh, sadly, my first uh, Marvel Star Wars comic was the one that fe- featured Jackson the Rocket Rabbit, Don Juan Quixote, and Sergei Aragontes the Arrogant One. It's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> you shut your mouth. I like Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't mess don't mess with the Jackson fan contingent. They they make variant covers now over at Marvel just for them. Are you serious? They 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 brought Jackson back. I want him. In, I I want him in the Han Solo movie. They haven't officially brought him back, but he, he's definitely, I know he's been on a lot of those variant covers, so there's definitely there's definitely a fan base for Jackson. I, 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 I will say he's Bucky O'Hare before Bucky O'Hare was Bucky O'Hare. 
very requested action figure that they seem to not want to make. I'm surprised they didn't they didn't try to make him when they were doing those comic themed inspired two packs because I remember those like even though I wasn't buying action figures at the time when those came out, I remember like those definitely drew my eye where I was like, wow, what's like that's you know I don't know I've always been fascinated by when when they try to replicate the visuals of of the comics where like Darth Vader kind of had all those blues and and the red yeah. eyes and and it was very you know akin to the the printing and coloring process that they had at the time and I I'm always fascinated when they they give action figures like paint schemes that that match that because you know it, like me and Tony always said I guess it's akin to my you know, I love banana yellow Iron Man disease or whatever. It's like it's like that's that's stuff that I just I kind of adore. So like that that was something that I, I was always like, Oh, that's kinda neat. So I'm I'm surprised they never did make a Jackson figure. I'd buy it. I mean like I I think the issue is not amazing. Nostalgically was, it was fun. Was, it was fun. He was around for a while. If I remember. Oh, yeah, right. he showed up again. Yeah. I know I knew it wasn't a one and done. Yeah. He 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 popped back up a few times. He he was a Marvel character. I mean, you know, I mean you, you can't really bash on Jackson, I guess, unless you bash on like the 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 guy or uh you know, one of my characters is gonna be in my comic then later on. <laughs> or the bug people that were in the later half post Jedi stuff, yeah. Oh yeah. Not the <laughs> Ujibs, uh what were they? No. Uh the Hoojibs were little no, they, they, they were like the, the guys that looked like the guy from Space Ghost, pretty much, but they helped yeah. the, the Star Wars guys. I don't remember what their name was, but they looked like, uh, who was it, like Brack or, not Brack, the, the other, the, John is Zorak? I'm talking about. Zorak, Zorak? Yes. yeah. 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 It's like the race of Zoraks in, in Star Wars, except for they had, like, little hats, and they helped Luke Skywalker <laughs> in the gang. Yeah. Yeah, they were, like, short. I remember that. They were short, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Marvel. Yeah, people give shit to Marvel Comics for their Star Wars run because it's not, you know, like I said, it hasn't aged gracefully. There's still a lot of good stories in there, and there's a lot of fun characters in there. I, I think I think there's definitely a reevaluation of that, though. I think I think you're coming from it from the point where, you know, how you described like when when they were just easily accessible in the fifty cent bins, kind of like you know between like 1983 and before the Timothy Zahn novels like where people had kind of written off Star Wars as a dead franchise and at that point I think people did have that attitude like oh those Star Wars comics aren't such hot shit like they don't you know they're not really like the movies and besides it's a dead franchise anyway blah 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 but I think I think especially today you know I, I think that's been reevaluated because even even if they stamp you know legacy on all this stuff I mean Marvel and and Disney know that you know even if it's not quote unquote canon, you know they've got this market of people who are definitely invested in Star Wars and and that they've got a whole bunch of stories. Like it, it's funny to me, like revisiting like these issues today. Like I almost felt like it, it's almost like the tides have turned where you you would have said at some point like the Timothy Zahn novels and like. Dark Empire and things like that. Uh, that's the real like, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Well, or yeah. at least it tied in better with your vision of the films. But now that the like Force Awakens is out and all that stuff, like revisiting these, I kind of went, "Hey, these could still conceivably fit in the Disney canon." Whereas, like right. the, the those expanded, you know, Zon whatever things cannot fit. You know what I mean? So I was like, sitting there going, "Hey, all this stuff is still." 
almost valid, you know? So I thought that was kind of a, it's like almost like it came full circle. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I, 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 you know, picked this uh, idea for, for a show because I do love these comics. I grew up with them and it's not just nostalgia. Like when I read them, you know, I, I still am like, oh yeah, this is a good story. But I, I did, I did know for a time, you know, like I said, there were people who were poo-pooing them and stuff, but um, if, if people are getting back into them, that's, that's awesome. I, I had a hard time actually picking one because I, I, I was going through my uh, box, you know, and I was like, oh, man, I know I told Derek this one, but this one was good. And, oh, well, that one's good. And, oh, that's the one with the water planet. And, you know, that's this. And, I, you know, I, I, every story that I remember reading in here is good. I mean, it, there are, has some redeeming factor. It's not like any of these were like, you know, just complete waste. Right. Yeah. And then there, there's definitely a lot of characters some who are not in the the uh, the issues we're talking about tonight that are, are still like fondly remembered like uh Derek mentioned uh Finn Shisa and also there's a guy named Tay Vanis who's in one issue but his story was so good that like people still remember that character I still regret not getting the what's her name Lumia or Lumia oh. Okay. Lumia. The, Lumia. Yeah. I, yeah. It's weird. I, I hear it pronounced a billion different ways. I always used to call her Lumia, but I've heard people call her Lumaya and like all kinds of other ways. But I, I, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I've always called her Lumia. Yeah. yeah. I regret not getting that action figure because she's one of my favorite Marvel characters. Yeah. For those, for those not in the know, after Anakin slash Vader bought it in Jedi, the comics were still going. And they introduced basically what was supposed to be a female Darth Vader, but she actually was more than that. She actually was her own character. Well, yeah, yeah she was she was Shaira Bree or whatever, like long before she was Lumia. So like she had a a history, like a long history, going back to the I guess Empire era of the Marvel Star Wars comics. But yeah, I mean that that was definitely like you know it, that that cover that introduced her. It was like. You know, the Dark Lord is dead. Long live the new Dark Lord. You know, and you're supposed to be like, you're like, yeah. whoa, this is badass. You know, so yeah. I've... Yeah, I guess I guess, I guess I would be pissed off if Luke shot down my Tie Fighter too when I was trying to get away. Uh... <laughs> hey, I'm Jen, and I'm Sean. We're here to tell you about our podcast, Worst Collection Ever. And this is the show where we tell you about the worst comic book collection in existence. And it just happens to belong to us. We have some of the worst comics from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They're bad. They don't, Terrible. They're not worth anything. No good. Why do we Very own them? Bad. I own a number of issues of Terror Inc. and Guy Gardner. Basically, we go around to local comic book stores and we buy everything we can out of dollar boxes. We tell you about the weird stuff in them. We tell you about stuff that's related to then we go into tangents and we're very uninformed so oh my god totally but totally check out our podcast because you'll hear us just talk and joke about marvel books and dc books from god only knows when that's right it's our show worst collection ever every tuesday on itunes stitcher anywhere you get your podcasts download rate subscribe tell a friend it'll be good and terrible but good so, so how about you, Tony? What Star Wars comic did you bring for us tonight and tell the listeners at home about it? Well, mine is, is definitely a later part of the run. Mine is Star Wars 70. It came out in April of 1983. This was the Stinex Shuffle. This was written by Mary Jo Duffy, and the pencils were actually handled by two people. There's a Carrie Gamel, who I'm not really familiar with, but I think anybody who's listened to our podcast knows the other penciler and the inker, Tom Palmer. He's 
well known in the comic book world as being uh, a rather prolific artist. Mine ties into Derek's and John's comics in different ways. I won't say how it ties into Derek's at first. As far as John's, mine is also pretty much a Han Solo story. But the catch is, this took place in the time when Han Solo was frozen in carbonite. And pretty much by Lucasfilm edict, they couldn't do a Han Solo story that took place after the carbonite thing. Basically, they couldn't unfreeze him, is what I'm saying. So if they ever did a Han Solo story, they had to do a flashback. And that's what they did in this issue. We're going to Stenos, and Luke and Lando and Chewie are reminiscing about Han, how they have to get him back. And they're basically on the, the hunt for Jabba and Boba. You know, basically Boba. Boba Fett is obviously the bounty hunter who took Han Solo with, in the carbonite freezing unit. And unlike the movies where it pretty much seems like in Jedi he went straight to Tatooine, in the comics, it seemed like Fett wasn't in a really big hurry to get home. So <laughs> he kind of bounced around for a while, which is good for the, the, the narrative. So they go to this planet, and Luke remembers an adventure they had there. They arrived on the planet Stenos. There's an Imperial presence there, so they have to be kind of careful, but they're supposed to meet up with rebel agents. Who do they run into but Rick Duel, a scaggly, gravelly, drifter kind of guy. And he knows who Solo is. Rick's not alone, though. He confronts them in this temple, and this is battered down and broken. But he's also got Chido, who is basically Greedo, but Greedo's dead, so we have Chido. <laughs> and we have Danny, Zeltron. Zeltrons are definitely a Marvel thing. They're very cool, though. They're these red aliens who are very human-like, but they're god-awfully beautiful. They're just, like, attractive men and women. But not only are they attractive, but they give off kind of a pheromone or a reaction that makes other species lose their inhibitions around them a little bit. Or, in Luke's case, wonder why his pants are suddenly tighter. It's like, so, it's uh, like if uh, Starfire was, was red, basically. Yeah, basically. The black leather doesn't, doesn't hurt either. Rick is talking to Han, and it is kind of like a Lando thing because he, he knows who Han is. And Han's like, you know, Rick, I know who you are. You're 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 a backstabbing swindler, you know. Just because I'm helping the rebel lines doesn't mean I'm gone soft. And Rick's like, no, no, no. You're, you're you misunderstand me, old friend. I'm I'm a part of the rebel alliance too now. Even name drops the contact they were supposed to get a hold of. There is no other rebel alliance presence though on the planet except for apparently Rick and his two cronies. Now they're looking for an artifact. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you for a second. When I read that, you know who I thought of? Huh. I thought of, I thought of Cassian from. Rogue One, if he lived, yeah. uh, just the way he looks, and I actually read the rest of this issue kind of like in his voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry. You're so good. I like you so much. <laughs> you're a good, you're a good man. I was like, I, I read Rick speaking English. Oh. Well. I I actually I actually kind of read Rick as with all like I guess Star Wars characters who don't actually have a voice that are in comics. Ninety percent of them I read with an English accent. So. <laughs> Solo, my boy. They're they're looking for this artifact that was apparently important to the, the rebel agents who were there who got driven off the planet. And there's also basically Stenosis inhabited by the Stenaxes. They are this race of lizard creatures. And man, well, like, I wouldn't even say lizard. They are they look like dragons, basically. They're like humanoid dragons with wings and everything. This artifact, one of the reasons they were trying to get it is when the Empire came, that the reason the temple is so much in shambles is because there was a raid and the temple got damaged and the artifact was lost. The Stenaxes believe that this artifact is how they, uh, you know, are able to fly. 
because they, they give reverence to this god that the artifact is. It's basically called Vol. They are humiliated and humbled by the fact that they don't have this artifact anymore, so they, they probably can fly physically, but, you know, mentally they're like, no, we've disgraced ourselves. So you have that. So basically we have this nice fun back and forth with, and, and, and it's not a spoiler because you can kind of figure out where things are going, but it's still a fun read. Rick is not a very honest character. You, you get a bad vibe from him at first. And even Luke and, and Leia and everything, you know, they, they voice their opinions at various parts, you know, especially with Danny just hanging all over Luke all the time. <laughs> and Rick is not very shy about trying to hang all over Leia, which <laughs> Han is not very happy about. They do find the artifact. Rick does betray them and takes off. And he not only does that, but he rests them out to the Imperials. Well, Chido does that. He, he helps with that. We don't know what to do. We're screwed. Unfortunately, Chido apparently talks too much, and who come in? The Synax, the Synaxes, on wings of vengeance. They take out a lot of the stored troopers, and they, you know, pretty much save the day. However, they don't seem to like the rebels. They don't like our heroes either. And the Synax, who's in the lead, you know, hisses at Han, and he's like, uh, okay, I thought we were friends. And, and Luke is like, I think they want Vol. And he's like, well, if it's Vol you want. And Han does, you know, a double backstab on good old Rick. Rick's trying to get away because he just backstabbed the Imperials. He's trying to sell Vol to another dealer, or if that's his plan. He gets to his ship, but there's the evil Imperial agent who's like, ah, well, your days are done, Rick. You, you tried to betray me, but, you know, it's coming to an end. Sadly, the Synaxes are pretty fast and flying, and chaos ensues. So we end this part of the story with Rick cursing Han Solo, and he'll get him one day, Gadget. Then we have our last panel, which is Luke and Lando, you know, kind of wrapping up the story of this and promising to get Solo back. And they are on Stenos now, and Lando says, well, you're friends, so we should be cool, right? And, he's, and Luke's like, yeah, we might want to park outside the city. And then this leads to the next issue, which is Return to Stenos. But again, this could be a one and done, and I thought this was a really fun issue. Is it a requirement for all Imperial governors to have a widow speak? I, think so. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I, I think you just could get away with calling that guy poor man's grandma Tarkin or whatever, because they, 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 a lot of these poor bastards do all look the same. Right. He's got black hair. That's about it. Tarkin had gray. That's about it. I really like the art in this. I think Tom Palmer, like, it, it, to me, it has a Star Wars vibe. Carrie Gamble is okay, but you could tell when Tom takes over. It's it's interesting because I I kind of. I, I, in my heart of hearts, I kind of disagree because I'm, I'm familiar with Kerry Gamble from like his work on like Superman stuff. So like okay. I'm, I mean, this is probably a little earlier in his career, but like I, I kind of like Kerry Gamble's style better, and I've always kind of, I, you know, it's not, it's not to decry Tom Palmer's work, but like I, I mean, mostly I remember him from Avengers, and mm. even if, if there was a really good artist like John Basima. I felt like he kind of scratched up their artwork with his inks or whatever. So like I, I've never quite been keen on Tom Palmer. So I, I think for this, it's like it's not, it, it's actually for, for Tom Palmer, I, I mean to me, I'm surprised that I liked it as much as I did, just given my inclination of bias. But the, the one thing that I noted about it was, I was like, oh, it's a flashback story. So, like, what it kind of felt like to me was, like, they had this stock 18-page story that was made for, like, the era of Star Wars comics that John shared with us. 
but then they pulled it out of the drawer, dusted it off, and was like, oh, well, this doesn't really fit, so let's get, you know, Carrie Gamble to draw, like, a few pages in the beginning and a page at the end to kind of frame it in this kind of like, we're telling a past story type thing. Like, that's kind of what it felt like to me, like, that they, they had some kind of, you know, story that was in the files that they had never, you know, some kind of fill-in story that they had never used, and then to make it fit within the context of a sort of post-Empire, pre-Return of the Jedi context, they they added those extra pages with Lando and Luke and Chewie at the beginning and, and the one page at the end. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell that this was intended. They They try and hit all the visual cues. All of the characters are in their original a new hope outfits and and i can't believe leia would travel around in a dress like that you know <laughs> right but, but i think that's you know they were trying to use that that throwback language to kind of throw you in this is a pastor they do look more like the actual actors though in this than they did in my you know my story that, that's the one thing that's kind of cool is, is you can kind of see the evolution of how this marvel run went from oh, well, we don't really care about the likeness or the vehicles. Now you can even tell in the vehicles and everything that now, okay, people are buying this. We got to get it looking more like like what the movies are showing. Yeah, like that that, that opening scene with the, the Millennium Falcon, that looks just like the Falcon. I, I do think Luke still, though, has that kind of, at least not in the framing sequences, but in the flashback sequences, he certainly still has that kind of power of the force, you know, open-chested, you know, barrel-chested look to him, you know, that's not necessarily, yeah. you know, Mark Hamill, per se, you know. Well, they, have to have, they have to have something for Danny to rub up on when she's, yeah. like, trying yeah. to seduce him Well, well speaking, <laughs> speaking of Danny, like, I mean, I guess that's the one part of it that, that really ties it into that post-Return of the Jedi universe for me, you know, at least in terms of the Marvel comics, because those, those Zeltrons were were like a major part of you know the alliance for those last i don't know like i I mean i remember they were you know heavily featured especially in the 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 90s and the hundreds yeah yeah they actually became like you know pretty big parts of the i guess new republic you know we have jabba in the story that john had and he is an established character me personally one of the things that john hit on with you know just the, the entire marvel run was these were our stories when we didn't have stories for Star Wars. You know, this was our, like, you know, continuing adventures. And again, you know, the main bad guy in my story is actually not the Empire. I mean, they do play a role, but it's Rick Duell and his, you know, team of, you know, scavengers. And honestly, not only do I like the character, because, I mean, come on, look at his name, Rick Duell, Han Solo. Okay, we got it, we get you. Like, his crew visually and their their personalities, I thought they were great foils. They were, like, not top-tier, like, badasses, but they were assholes that you would not want to run across, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I felt like Rick Duell was kind of like a, a cooler proto-Dash Rendar. Mm. Right. Huh, I can see that. You know, he's, he's a contemporary yeah. with Han Solo. They both kind of have that that pirate smuggling background, you know, but I, I thought, I thought Rick Duell, you know, because he's such a kind of shady customer and how he, he kind of pulls off the backstabbing stuff a lot more. It's almost like he's Lando without any of the guilt too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like that he, he, it'd be like Lando would fuck over Han Solo and the Carbonite, but then not, you know, be like, ha ha. And I got away with this, you know, religious 
you know, statue, and and I'd do it again too if it wasn't for you pesky kids. It's it's kind of ironic because I actually went and bought the actual comic for this instead of reading it online. Shout out to my my local comic shop, Books, Comics, and Things in Fort Wayne. Go visit them if you're by. I'm looking at Tony's avatar, and I'm looking at the actual page, and the color is killing me because his color is just so much more crisp. I mean, it. it if if you guys have never read a non-digital comic and you're listening to this, go go seek out a comic, you know, back from that era and read it and compare it, you know, to what you read online. Because I, I think that would make a difference for me. I really do. I, you know, I, I'm glad I read it this way. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I actually did buy this issue originally. I did read online for refreshing purposes, but I did buy this comic off of Spinner Rack. That's one of the reasons why I picked it. And yeah, there's nothing like holding a comic in your hand. You know, when I was going through the digital, you know, version, you know, I would see the rule, the, the, the bullpen bulletins and the letters page, Star Wars, and it really brought me back. I was like, this is, you know, this is great that I can read it this way. But like, you know, I do miss that issue. I don't have it anymore. I don't have any of my Star Wars comics anymore, unfortunately. I didn't have a purge. I just had a mom and I was, you know, 10. He had this, this, you know, this, this kind of art style. There is something to what John's saying about just holding it in your hands as a physical copy, feeling the crinkly pages and just leafing through it. It it really is a different experience than reading it on digital. It's like, yeah, I get the story, but you know, if I had this comic in my hand, I would get the experience. If that makes sense. Your avatar actually reminds me more of the color in the newspaper strip, for some reason. Yeah, it, it's a little bit saturated. Yeah, but it's not like overly saturated. But yeah, like a lot of comic strip colors were, you know. Like these bright, bold colors, you know, like like Rick's Rick's brown outfit is 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 almost like, you know, mud on a summer's day in my avatar, and like you yeah. know, in the comic, it's more like a dirty, you know, muted brown color. Yeah. Well, in the black, you know, the ink in his hair and the brown in his hair, and what I'm looking at are almost, you know, it's harder to tell them apart, and it, it's just interesting. I, I I've never had that opportunity to see kind of both at the same time like that. So it's, it just kind of caught my eye. I actually did go through a couple of different images because that's apparently a very, uh, I wouldn't say famous because this is not, probably not a famous issue, but for people who like this image, this is a very well-known image. And there was like a, a lot to choose from. And I actually did pick one that was actually more saturated or maybe either from a digital copy or mm -hmm. Photoshopped. I don't know. It just, it just kind of struck me. I was like, yeah, I'll pick that. And you know, and that is a great splash page with Rick with his gun and Chido and Danny in the background. That that's that's that a good like introduction. Yeah, guess, it's good yeah, introduction it's good. for those characters. Yeah, I thought, that's how you I do thought like Chido maybe was sort of a combo between Greedo and the the what what is he the Gordanian or whatever the the little ant 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 guy from from Star Wars that informs on the Falcon in the first movie. Oh, oh. Uh, Garridan. Garridan. Yeah. Okay. I am such a nerd. But, no, but I also, use that too. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> this actually does what you guys were saying. This does harken back to the idea that this was probably pulled out of the drawer as an old, you know, story that they had to tweak. Because I'm pretty sure Chido was supposed to be Greedo. Like, you know, they like they might have like done something where this was like, you know, we were gonna do Greedo. This was just gonna be Han Solo, maybe not Luke, you know, maybe or something like that. I don't know. So but, you could take a, a Greedo figure your Dash Rendar figure and probably like an Ayla Sakura with a different hair job, you know, with actual hair instead of tendrils. And you could probably mock this crew up pretty, pretty quick for a custom. Right. Yeah. And me, I mean, I've actually seen some customs online. I don't know. I'd like to say, I don't know if Rick Duel is a, you know, popular character, but 
just visually again, and I see where Derek's going with the proto Dash Rendar, because his design is kind of reminiscent. Dash has a beard. He has like kind of scraggly hair. He has kind of a more armored look than like you know Han Solo's you know vest and 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 pants and. and I can kind of see that. That's a that's a that's a good spot there, Derek. I I didn't see it before. He's got a Rick has a a goatee. Of course he's evil. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you knew you knew he was a shady customer because he's got the Van Dyke goatee. Yeah, I mean that's what I say. Like you know, I wasn't trying to spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it, but it, it's very obvious from the get go that like everybody but Han Solo doesn't trust Rick. You know? Well, no, Han Solo doesn't trust him either. I mean, th- there's that there's actually that really nice exchange between him and Luke where Luke's like. Uh, do you do you trust that guy, Rick Duel? And he's like, I trust Chewbacca to rip his arms off if he double crosses us. You know, like so you're like, yeah. you know, he he he's just kind of doing what he does, but he doesn't he doesn't really trust him. You know, yeah, he, he's he's working with them, but he's not like, yeah, we're not we're not friends, buddy. It was fun and like the 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 title Stinax Shuffle. You know, it does have that kind of you know scoundrel vibe to it. It's like you know, it is a wheeling dealing story. You know, it's, it's two guys who don't trust each other, who are both either in the same business or one of them was, and he's, you know, trying to make a little bit better of himself. I I really like the way this was written just because it, it does feel like a throwback to that earlier era. But th- there was one panel in, in particular that I liked, and it's where Leia kind of has like a little jealousy of Danny and Luke, you know, because this is post-Empire, so we know that she's into Han. So to see that played out the other way, it's kind of unusual at that point. So I'm glad they didn't, didn't pull back and go, Oh no, we're not going to do that. They, they actually included it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this story as well. I, I think a testament to this story is how they were able to, you know, juggle the two different crews essentially. And I, I think everybody played a pretty decent role in the story. You know, like you were saying, you have Rick Duell and Danny and what's the, the not Greedo guy's name? Cheeto. Uh. So Chido, you, yeah, yeah Chido. or Cheeto. So, it could be yeah, Cheetos. Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, so so you've got those guys, and they're all pretty cleanly established, and they all have their roles to play. You know, like you know, Danny's kind of like the the sex pot who's who's kind of you know messing with Luke, and and you know, obviously, you know, Rick Duel's the rival for Han Solo, and and you know, basically, Cheeto's the one that you know kind of you know, you know, he he's helping them get supplies, but then he's also kind of you know being the little informant turncoat you know when when things start going south and everything and then you know you but the other thing that was cool is like pretty pretty much everybody in the the rebel cast plays a decent role in this too like i mean i like even you know 3po gets to you know sort of translate you know all the ancient text and everything when they're doing this it's funny it's almost like it's this star wars ish version of indiana jones where they're digging up some ancient artifacts and 3PO gets to translate some of the ancient writings and then R2-D2 gets to use his calculations to pinpoint you know where this thing is going to be buried so I mean I I, I like that everybody you know got to you know kind of show off a little bit in in the story and and you know since you know it's it's one of those things where you feel like it's almost a lost art you know it's like you you've got a, a large kind of antagonist crew and you've got a large protagonist crew and then you've got the third party in this is essentially the empire you know which is you know and and they've also got to deal with those characters as well and they all managed to do it in you know kind of what 18 page 
comic or whatever it is you know and it's like and, and everything's kind of wrapped up pretty nice and neatly and and you know you've got the the two framing sequences so i mean i i for that yeah you know i thought it was really well done star wars give me those star wars nothing but star wars don't let them I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. Well, you're part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Bothan Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? (sighs) I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those... <coughs> including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode, on Give Me Those Star Wars. The official Star Wars show of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yeah, if I, if I, haven't, if I haven't said it, you know, good, good pick, John, and good pick, Tony. I appreciate you guys bringing some, some cool books to the show. So I guess we'll we'll finish off with chronologically like my title. It's Star Wars Annual Number Three. This was released. Uh, the on sale date is August thirtieth, nineteen eighty three, and the title of the story is called The Apprentice. It was also written by Joe Duffy, and the artist is Klaus Janssen. I I was kind of lazy. I just grabbed my summary from. I think it was like Wikipedia or whatever, so you'll bear with me, but we'll we'll, we'll get through it. <laughs> Darth Vader is on board a Star Destroyer, speaking with several Imperial officers. The Dark Lord lays down a plan to subjugate the Belderone system, beginning with the planet Belderone, where the Empire has set up a secret factory. A rebel base on the planet Colthus has been detected, and Vader plans to use the Empire's presence on Beldrone as a staging point for a devastating attack on Colthus. General Andrid is skeptical of Vader's plan, believing that it is born of a romantic sentiment, perhaps from his days as a Jedi Knight. Vader coldly rebukes the man, warning the general not to provoke him, as he will surely feel the Dark Lord's wrath. Meanwhile, on Belderone, a young man, Flint, runs through the city streets yelling for his friend Barney. A rebel ship has landed in the spaceport, and Flint is eager to go see it and who it might bring. Barney is less than enthused, but Flint convinces him to come along. As the two friends make their way to the spaceport, Flint's mother, Zanna, warns Flint not to be late to his shift at the factory, as the Imperial supervisors are very strict about the citizens missing their enforced shifts. Flint promises that he'll be back in time, and the two young men run to the spaceport just in time to see the rebel group depart from their ship. Luke Skywalker, Lando Calrissian, Leia Organa, Chewbacca, 
R2-D2, and C-3PO make up the Rebel Party, and they immediately begin to talk with the citizens gathered around, trying to confirm rumors that an Imperial operation is taking place on the world. After mentioning that they came from Colthus, the crowd thins dramatically as no one wants to be associated with anyone from a rebel-sympathizing world. However, Flint and Barney step forward, having spotted Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. Flint's father had also been a Jedi Knight, and he confronts Skywalker, asking if his father had also been a Jedi Knight. Luke, having recently discovered that Darth Vader is his father, lies, claiming that his father was only a navigator on a spice freighter. Despite this, Flint is still excited by the presence of outsiders, and he decides to bring them into the city, leading them towards his mother's tavern. As the rebels are invited inside, a worker at the tavern recognizes them and contacts General Andrid. Andrid decides to go above Darth Vader's head and deal with the problem himself. He contacts three assassins that are stationed on the world and gives them the rebels' location. However, that attack goes quite poorly. Skywalker senses the incoming attack with the Force, and the rebels easily dispatch two of the assassins. The group attempts to capture the third man, but he immediately commits suicide. Skywalker's quick reflexes in the shootout confirm for Flint that Skywalker is indeed a Jedi, confident that only the Force could have made him so good. The sneak attack confirms for the Rebels that a serious operation is taking place on Belderone with the objective of destroying the Rebel base on Colthus. While Lando and Leia decide to stay on Belderone, Chewbacca and Luke take the Millennium Falcon back to Colthus to warn the Rebel fleet. A squadron of single-pilot ships were arrayed before the Rebels had come to Belderone, and the group hopes that they can attack the Imperials before they can begin their attack on Colthus. As the Millennium Falcon leaves the world, Flint and Barney contact the Rebels, deciding to show them the factory and what they had been building. Meanwhile, back in space, Darth Vader receives word of General Andrid's foolhardy attack. Knowing that the Rebels have now been alerted to the Empire's presence, he force chokes the man to death, and decides to begin the Imperial attack immediately, placing Colonel Maldrud in charge of the attack. Back on Belderone, the Rebels arrive at the factory only to see several ADAT walkers emerging from the underground structure. The Imperials plan to go straight through the nearby town and rendezvous with several Imperial bulk cruisers that will bring them to Colthus. Leia and Lando make their way into the factory as Flint and Barney jump into a landspeeder and make their way to the town hoping to warn the populace of the incoming walker attack. However, as they reach the town, Flint accidentally crashes the speeder, knocking both of them unconscious. With the Adats threatening to destroy the town, Skywalker arrives with the squadrons from Colthus. A fierce battle begins to break out near the city, and one of the Adats begins to rampage through the city, destroying everything in its path. The rebels are finally able to destroy all the Adats and the Adat factory with the help from Leia and Lando, who had been able to commandeer one of the walkers. The following morning, Flint awakens to find his town completely obliterated. He spies Barney lying nearby, still unconscious, and believes that his friend is dead. Flint runs to his mother's tavern and begins to search the rebel. Among the wreckage, he finds his mother's lifeless body, filling him with horrible grief. As Flint mourns over the destruction, he is found by Darth Vader, who sympathizes with his plight. Vader asks Flint to join the Empire, 
claiming that he will eventually give the young man special training to make him someone who matters very much. Meanwhile, back with the rebels, Barney has been patched up and he has decided to join the rebellion, as his entire family was killed during the battle. Leia tries to apologize for the destruction of the city, but Barney claims he knows the rebels are not the ones to blame. Back with the Imperials, Flint has donned his stormtrooper armor. As he gives one last look at a photograph of his former life with his mother, he puts on his helmet and boards an Imperial transport vessel. Darth Vader approvingly watches the rest of his stormtroopers board the Imperial ship. And that is the end of Star Wars Annual 3. I, I kind of love this story. Like, I, I guess I've always kind of been attracted to stories that have kind of a, uh, I don't know, a, a kind of Twilight Zone or a, a, a deep shock or twist or whatever. Like, I've always kind of been into those kind of stories, and, and I, I feel like this, this gives me those, you know, feelings of chills. And any time a comic can, can kind of bring out the chills in me, like, that's something where I... I I, it's my go-to for for you know my favorite comics where you you're kind of invested in the excitement and adventure, but then when it kind of you know turns it on its head and and brings a you know sort of a chilling feeling to you, then then I kind of know the comic for me has has kind of done its job. So I you know that's that's pretty much my my highest recommendation when I'm I'm reading books like that. And this, you know, unfortunately this is not something that I I was able to get off a of spinner rack, but it is probably one of the earliest back issues that was not related to the actual Star Wars films that I I managed to buy and it was uh, more than likely this came from Comic Zone, that was a, a comic store in Fremont, California, that sadly no longer exists. But that was that that was one of my go-to stores back in the day when when I was a kid. That I was always having my parents drive me to. So it was like, we gotta go to Comic Zone. I gotta get comics, you know. So I, as soon as you said what issue, I was pretty sure I had it, and I remembered the cover, but I also remembered the ad ad image you're using for your avatar. Like it was like vivid. Like as soon as you said, you know, annual number three, that just like popped. The cover is really striking. It's just Darth Vader just like in your face. <laughs> yeah, and yellow and black. I actually got this. This is probably one of the first ones I bought in a comic shop, you know, like you were saying, you know, back issue type thing. I would have got this in Canada across the river from like where I, you know, where I grew up partly. But I remember that going into a comic shop and being like, oh, how many Star Wars comics do they have? Oh, they've got five. You know, <laughs> so, and this was one of them. So I was like, I don't have that one. I'll get this one, you know, kind of thing. I, I will say, Derek, me and John's comics were fun. Yours wasn't fun at all. It was mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid, though. This this was really well paced. And, and the twist, I mean, you might have saw it coming at some point. But and I hate to to keep, you know, kicking a dead horse that is the prequels. But how does Flint have a better turn to the dark side than Anakin fucking Skywalker? Well, I think I think that's part of those those unkept promises that I think came from having a childhood where you read Marvel Star Wars. You know, whether it was mentions of the Clone Wars and casual passing from Han Solo or or you know Mandalorians like Fen Shaisha or whatever. But like this, 
is not a mention of the Clone Wars, but I mean, it really did feel to me like the unkept promise that, you know, just for me, I'm not speaking for everybody because I know some people like the prequels and stuff like that. But, you know, for yeah. me, I felt like it was the sort of unkept promise where you're like, man, I, you know, I do sort of love Flint's journey you know and 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 the, the the twist of it is i mean you're really supposed to think that maybe luke came back and luke's the one telling him because you, you don't see in that yeah, panel yeah. you know it's yeah. off panel you don't know i mean in my synopsis i kind of say oh yeah it's vader but when you're reading the comic the thing of it is you don't hear a voice you know you you see off panel some dialogue balloons being spoken to him and you know for all you know you know it's like the the i can sympathize with you is oh yeah my aunt beru and uncle owen got turned exactly. into charred husks like i i know what you're going through come back with me and we'll we'll join the rebels and we'll get you set up and and this will be all good you know but it you know it turns out you know it's vader you know and so you know some people in retrospect they they point to the prequels and go oh it's eerily you know premonition like we didn't know that vader's mom died but if you if you read this if you read it as a kid you know you didn't have that knowledge of the prequels because they didn't come out yet but now if you go back and reread it with that knowledge of you know the episode two tuscan raider stuff you know then then you're like oh well this this takes on a, a another sort yeah. of layer another shade to it where what what he's saying is not maybe just you know sith chicanery you know it's it, there's there's something to it that that's sincere you know that he's saying all right well you know I'll, I'll take you on and and i i get what i get what you're going through like but we'll we'll fix this and we'll bring some order to the galaxy so shit like this doesn't happen and and you're like yeah that sounds like something vader would do i mean it's the whole you know keep keep uh little sith proteges in training you know little little apprentices so that you know maybe him and flint could get together and knock off the emperor like who knows you know and maybe he uses flint to bring luke into the fold and then they knock off flint or you know whatever you know like that's i guess how the sith is supposed to work so you know all that kind of stuff i think is always you know for me it's it's something i was always you know really passionate about and i i don't know what it says about me you know psychologically but i think if if you look to a lot of my favorite comics there there there's always going to be some aspect like in this issue where things get turned on their head and and it's you know what you know isn't what you think you know and 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 you are kind of you know i i've always found it to be an enjoyable comic read when you when you get chilled to the bone and i think that's part of that i i i think it's like michael bailey from his his views from the long box and other podcasts he'll always say you know you're forever chasing that first comic book high you know and i think for me right. like if i ever find comics that capture that feeling of chill and this is one of them you know it's like th th this is a comic where i was forever trying to recapture that high of 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 being you know chilled to the bone and kind of going oh man like this guy you know joined up with the empire and he's working for vader and i wonder how that's going to play out you know and if, if anybody's wondering it did eventually play out in marvel star wars 92 but like john said with the the story about the wheel that's you know that's a story for another day but but if anybody's curious it, it did eventually kind of play out later on in the post-Jedi run. I have to wonder if the story helped to inspire the game Force Unleashed. 
because oh, it really gives me vibes of that. Huh. I, 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 I've not, I've not really played that, but I'm familiar with, with some of the storyline to it. So yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. It takes on apprentice. Yeah. But I do have a, I do have a couple of notes because this was a longer issue than me and John's. This was a 40 page spectacular to its credit though. It's a, it's a breezy read. And like, that's not because it's light on story. There's a lot of word balloons, but just, you just keep flipping through it. You, you get through it in no time because you get engrossed. So that's not a bad thing. The artwork, it goes back and forth. Klaus Jansen is a great artist. Don't get me wrong. Some panels were kind of like weird. Like, it, like Derek's imagery of the adats, that, that panel was amazing. The adats look scary and imposing and just like, oh my God. Then one panel is like the adat walking out of the city and it looks kind of fat. <laughs> it, it's, it's like, the panel that Derek has as his avatar is kind of like a little bit of a forced perspective, but it's like when they went to that next panel, that's not really what it was. It wasn't forced perspective. That was the actual shape. And now the thing's all distorted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly, what it looked yeah. like to me. Yeah. And also on that note, Claus does not draw very good X-Wings. I'm sorry. He doesn't. I was going to be very interested in knowing that I guess the rebels upgraded their snow speeders to fly through space. So that's cool. I, I think <laughs> I, Think they, you know what's funny? I remember having card sets where snow speeders had the backdrop of outer space, so I don't think I ever questioned that based on the trading card set. But that, that was just me. Fair enough, fair enough. I will say that, like, you know, it is nice that we get introduced to the greatest hero of the rebellion, Barney. Barney, the, the grandfather of Finn from Force Awakens, right? <laughs> uh... I, it, yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, there is something about the name Barney. I don't know. It's, it's it's not a bad name. If your name is Barney out there listening, I'm sorry. Not not you know, but when I think of Barney, I think of Barney and Fred Flintstone, which is yeah, not very heroic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Barney from The Simpsons. You know? Well, it's it's funny that that their names do begin with F and B, right? Like you know, right? Flint, not Fred, but you know, hey. Yeah. yeah, that that is a minor nitpick. Barney is a nice character, and it, and him like wanting to join the rebellion was a nice twist too. You're like, oh, I thought he was dead. Oh, not only is he not dead, but he's pissed off and he wants to join the rebellion. Awesome. Well, not 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 only did might he have been dead, but I mean, it seemed like his his general outlook in the beginning was kind of like, yeah, I don't want to see the ship. Yeah, like you're pushing me along. Like I don't want to be bothered. Like he, he yeah. almost seemed like he was very uninvested. Period. And and by the end of it. He, he's actually had his own arc where clearly he he cares about things now. He he realizes his kind of uh, uh, malaise or 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 you know is it, just not it was not productive to his life. You know, it got a bunch of people killed. So you know, like he 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 actually seems to be a, a lot more you know in, invested in in joining the rebellion and, and making a difference rather than just kind of you know sleepwalking through his existence so so he he too has has his own arc and you know it, obviously he's not the primary focus of the story like flint is but you know he he definitely has his own kind of mini arc within the context of the annual yeah i, I was going to bring that up that's actually one of the things that's really interesting about the story me and john's stories definitely focused on the main cast we, we especially han solo but this one like we had leia we had lando we had luke R2 and 3PO don't even really do anything in this issue, but even those main characters kind of take a backseat to Flint and even Barney and even Darth Vader. Darth Vader has a lot of scenes in this comic, and that's a really bold, interesting choice to do 
And the funny thing is, is like a lot of people, if you concentrate on the character who like at that point isn't in the movies or whatever, you could be turned off by it. You'd be like, oh, I want to see Luke. I want to see like, you know, Lando, whatever. But Flint is an interesting character. And you, like you said, Derek, you see his journey. And even Barney, even though he's not, you know, as invested in, like you do see where he's going through and like what he's experiencing as the, the arc goes through. And that was a that was a bold, brave choice. And I, I you know, I actually at first was like, oh, Flint's so annoying. But as the, the issue went along, I'm like, oh, well, he is kind of like a farm boy. He he wants to change, like, you know, the status quo. He doesn't want to be just like, you know, a worker in this crappy factory and stuff. And then like, oh, shit, they killed everybody he knew and he hates everything. Oh, my God, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> it's kind of weird because Vader, you can start to see that there's more to Vader in this. You know, when when you read the earlier between Empire and, and A New Hope, that Vader... He's just mean, you know, out to, you know, be evil. He, he's a comic book villain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in, in this story, you see there's more to him than, you know, meets the eye. He, he's something deeper than, than just a bad guy. You know, they, 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 they couldn't have known what was going to happen in Jedi. So they, they, they were setting him up. Is he going to turn to the good side? Is he going to still be bad? What's going to happen? And, and they kind of left that open. And I kind of like that. Well, it's like Derek said that 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 off-panel like monologue he has to to Flint, it, it's not evil. It's not like you no. know, a, yeah, yeah. It's not like you know, join me and we will destroy the galaxy. He's like, he is tempting him. He's like, I will show you how to use your power to become something greater. And I mean, honestly, if you're a normal person and someone offers you that, that's not like you know, join me and I'll give you power armor and kill Captain America. No, that's like you know. Oh yeah, my life sucks. Everything went south, and I helped the rebels. And you're saying it could be better. I mean, who wouldn't really be tempted by that, you know? And and that really fits in, like I said, with the you know with the game, and also it fits in with really the prequels, in, in what we saw with Anakin. You know, it it's kind of that same story over and over. Yeah, it, it, it's about loss and 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 having the choice. And usually that choice is made by impulse. Mm -hmm. Flint has lost everything. He's not making a smart choice, but he feels he's making a right choice because he felt powerless. And Vader is offering him power. And even Barney says that. He said, you know, that's one of Barney's things. He says, you know, I think Flint didn't realize what was good or bad or what, you know, is evil and, you know, heroic. He just wanted power and he realized that and he went that way. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do want him to go back and CGI into Empire, though, a kid up on the 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 Star Destroyer deck buffing Vader's boots constantly. <laughs> oh, that, 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 that was another that was another note I did make. Yeah, the, the like, Vader's little valet who's just always around, like giving him water, buffing his boots. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I have an interesting relationship with Klaus Jansen or Jansen, you know, like his artwork, because I, I see what you're saying, Tony, like, it's not like the X-Wing fighters are the most detailed X-Wing fighters, and, and I, you know, I understand that there's certain things that aren't quite, you know, likeness level details or, or what have you. I think this is one of the few issues, I think, that I've read with his art where I, I think I've sort of, it might be nostalgia goggles or whatever, but like, I, I kind of 
don't view this as I do some other things like later in his career because I I remember you know I think like I kind of viewed him a little bit like I did Tom Palmer where he would ink certain pencilers that I had a certain view of where they had a nice you know whoever was inking them whether it was like Sal Buscema or somebody they they would have a nice like clean hard line to their artwork and then you know there'd be an issue where like Klaus dancing would ink them and then all of a sudden it would turn into this kind of scratchy free-for-all like wah you know thing and i i and having those two to compare it to you know you'd be like well hey i i prefer it when it has this nice hard clean line as opposed to this kind of you know i guess the 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 maybe delicate way to put it is you know his artwork has a frenetic feel about it Mm. and and i think in some ways that frenetic nature fits very well with flint as a character you know like the fact that he's always racing everywhere in his land speeder like like my mom would say he's a crazy vadiak you know that's Polish, you know, basically, but like, you know, for crazy. But anyway, you know, it's like I'm saying he's a crazy, crazy. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, the you know, the point is, the point is, he's he, you know, he he's basically you know, uh, speeding around like a young punk kid. He's he's always you know, he, he's never like focused on one particular thing. His attention's always being driven from one thing to the other, like what's the next big new thing and all that kind of stuff. And I I think the art in this particular issue does reflect that, you know, just in its very nature, you know, it's almost a, a subconscious thing. So I think it's always kind of worked for me, you know, and, 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 you know, I know, I know he's, he's famous for certain things, you know, whether it's like, you know, his work on daredevil and stuff like that. But I, I think this is something where, you know, I guess I just point to it as before I had any, I don't know, like comic knowledge about, you know, the creators involved. And I, this just spoke to me on a level without knowing the people's names that were involved. It was just a kid reading a comic book and it, it had a, a sort of visceral impact on me. So I, I've always remembered it. And I think, I think I've remembered it, you know, largely because it was a story that really heavily focused on Darth Vader to me. And then, you know, also seeing, Flint's arc and and how Vader would shape somebody's existence and almost kind of mold them in his own image, you know. And I always thought that was just you know something that was really really cool. I was gonna say as far as the art, I'm I'm not dissing on Klaus Jansen. He's a great artist and like just some of the vehicles I think he was weak on, but this is the least buff Luke we've had in all three of the issues we talked about tonight. So that is a good thing. <laughs> you know, the art and all of these, I, I'm willing to accept it and be happy with it because. I can't draw X-Wings to save my life. So the other thing is, is I, I have some issues and I, I can't remember which ones they are specifically, but I hate it when you pick up an issue and it looks like the artist took like the toy Millennium Falcon and set it on his floor and like took a picture of it. Oh, okay. That's what I got to draw. And you can tell by the panel that the thing's all, you know, Kennerized in its proportions. Shrunk. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. it's squatting, you know, the, the, the things that are oversized on the, the Toy Millennium Falcon or the things that are oversized in the panel. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can tell that, like, Klaus looked at it like the AT-ATs in the movie and his whole thing when he was drawing them and his mindset, I would imagine. I don't know the man personally, obviously, but he wanted to show their size. He wanted to show how scary yeah. they were. And, and, and that does work. The AT-ATs are terrifying in this this issue. 
Well, one thing I also want to bring up as far as the art, whatever nitpicks I may have about the, the I guess you would say, technical design of this, the ships and like some of the AT-AT panels. Darth Vader is terrifying in this. Just how he draws him, he, he's never... They, they don't do the, the, the comic thing where, or, or even the prequel thing where, you know, a character who looks as stoic as Darth Vader is doing flips and, you know, friggin', you know, running around and shit. He, he, he's calm. He's measured. He, he, he's the guy who's walking on the bridge of the Death Star and you're scared shitless of him. And then that's, that's, that's my Darth Vader. Well, I like when he, when he takes out Andrid and he's just kind of like, all right, gentlemen, let's have a toast to the late. General Andrid. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't like, don't choke on your aspirations. You yeah. know? Tarkin's not around. I'm allowed to do whatever I want now. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> uh, I, I guess the, the one thing I, I'll also bring up as far as, you know, any random notes. One of the reasons that Flint's journey is so interesting is it is like Anakin's, obviously, especially with the dark side turn, but it is also like Luke's. Flint is a is a kid who wants to be something more and he feels like he's stifled he can't get out of where he's going and it is interesting especially when this comic came out and i I didn't read it when it came out i read it for this show so but i'm going back in the past if you will we didn't have that we didn't have like what if what if luke had turned to the dark side you know we didn't have dark empire yet we didn't have you know what if this naive you know innocent kid had made the wrong choice and Seeing that parallel, I, I kind of wish that like Luke had had more to say at the end. You know, it was mainly Leia and Barney, and that would have been more interesting. It'd been like you know Luke being like you know this guy knew I was a Jedi. You know, even though he just felt it, but was that just him feeling it, or was it the Force? But to be fair, Luke was not well versed in the Force at that point, so he probably couldn't pick up on anything like that. Well, like like I said, without without getting into too much for a story for another day, this is followed up in Star Wars ninety two. I actually remembered one of them ends up in the Empire at the end. But as I started reading, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to play out. He's the good guy. He's the bad guy. And I had it completely flip-flop because they kind of lead you down <laughs> that path in the beginning, you know, because he is that Luke character. And, you know, his partner is, you know, maybe not as not as ambitious. <laughs> not invested. He doesn't really yeah. care. Yeah, yes. So he He's happy just to be there. Not even, he's not even happy to be there. He doesn't want to be there. <laughs> like in any way, he just wants to work. He's just like, fuck it. Yeah. You know, the, the Empire sucks, but what can I do? This was, this was a dark story. And it, it's really funny because you don't, you don't have any misconceptions when it starts out. Even though Flint is a very go-getter, you know, fun character in the very, in the very first few pages. Is it just me or is there always like this like dark underlying feeling when you're reading the whole story? Yeah, that first those first few Vader panels really set that up, I think. Like because it, it is that ominous, you know, anytime you get a full page, you know, splash of Vader and, and he's being Vader, you know, you're going to feel that way. Well, I mean, I think I think John makes fun of the guy, you know, basically at, at Vader's beck and call. But I think. I think his purpose there is a sound one because he, the look on his face anytime some shit goes down or somebody falls off to Vader, it's like, yeah, it's like, th- this guy's like, I wax this guy's boots all the time. Do you realize who you just fucking mouthed off to? Are you guys fucking insane? Like, are you shitting me? Like, that's that's the look on his face, even though that, that poor bastard in orange never has any dialogue whatsoever. But he, he, he certainly 
plays a role in accentuating like the greatness that is Darth Vader you know so like in that regard like you're never you know I, I, I think one of the reasons why this is probably one of my favorite Star Wars comics is just that you know Vader is a freaking boss like literally <laughs> and figuratively you know like and, right. and so that's that's kind of how I've always you know seen him it's like it kind of treats Vader with the reverence and respect that he should have it's not like you know Vader's like you know or whatever you know and and you know being dumb it's like he's he's actually you know uh, he's terrifying he's imposing he's not doing Yoda flips or anything wacky you know it's like it's like when when he takes guys out it's just with a simple gesture and 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 he also has kind of his own machinations going on in the background he's not just a one-dimensional bad guy kind of maybe what john was alluding to in some of those earlier marvel star wars where he wasn't as a fleshed out character because that's all they knew you know they kind of treated him like an outer space doctor doom where you know i I remember the stories where he'd play like chess with aliens and the the chess pieces would you know get set on fire and everything at the end of it he you know, sets the little alien squid Cthulhu guy on fire, and it's like, ha ha ha, I'm Darth Vader, I totally set you on fire, squid guy. You know, and it's like, he, he was badass, but yeah, he, it was he kind was, of... he was hunting Luke to, like, kill him. He wasn't going to turn him. He yeah, was it was, was kind of sort of one-dimensional, and, and I think in this case, this is this is a multifaceted Vader who who has plans to basically wipe out the rebels on Colthus, but also, he you know, he it's kind of like that sequence where... He sees, you know, Barney and Flint, you know, hop off in the land speeder, and the the one general's like, "Should we like destroy them, Vader? Like, what what should we do, Lord?" And he's just kind of like, "Ah, they can't, you know." He's like, "They can't do anything. Like, you, you know, w- we got this. We're we're handling this. Like, we'll, we'll handle the rebel fleet, and you know, we'll, we'll take care of everything." And so, like, I always think like he's he's basically portrayed in, in a manner that. You know, despite it not being considered, you know, official canon or whatever, I think is is you know totally acceptable for my sort of worldview of Vader as a a fan who sort of takes ownership of you know certain degrees of Star Wars. You know, <laughs> like I guess that's the the best way I can put it, but kind of complicated. You know. Yeah, th- th- this is the Vader. But this is the Vader from Empire, basically. He he is scary. He knows stuff. He has the long game in his head. And that's terrifying. You know, like, that's like, you know, this guy has not just been like, you know, yes, Emperor. He's He's got his own ideas. He's got his own way of uh, doing stuff. And that, you know, again, that's terrifying. You know, he's not just a puppet. All right. Well, I, I think I think that's kind of our, our final thoughts on all these Star Wars comics. I hope you guys out there listening have enjoyed this kind of trip down memory road with the Marvel Star Wars comics. That was basically our intentions is to have you guys kind of join us for the fun. And, you know, I guess maybe you can tell us what you guys think of The Last Jedi when it's out. You can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed listening to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We hope you consider checking out all of our Fan Holes shows. We've got the Fan Holes podcast proper. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. 
and I'm going to turn it over to John for a second. John, tell everybody at home like where they can find you and what what kind of things you want to you know pimp, promote, propagate on well, the interwebs. Well, you can always find me at Engineer Nerd on Twitter. Um, you can find me over at my website, tpandfilmtoys.com, where I kind of do reviews with my my partner in crime, Eric's. He he does a lot more reviews than I do, and I really feel bad about that. And then you can find me sometimes on the Action Figure Blues podcast, where I'm one of the rotating co-hosts. But you know, they're in Australia, so there's time problems. It's timey wimey stuff, so I'm not always on because I don't like getting up earlier. I, I enjoyed the the last episode I listened to where you guys were on talking about the different different stuff. I think it was what like two eighty was the last one that you were on. Sounds right. What do you remember what I, I was talking about? I remember about? it was it was in that time that number yeah. frame. So yeah. Yeah. All right. I got well, some other fun then, stuff coming up, so cool, cool. All right. So everybody check those out. Uh, you know, Action Figure Blues is an awesome podcast, and TV and Film Toys is a great place to go and check out reviews of, of uh, new and vintage action figures and toys. And, yeah, so until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, guys, this is Tony, and right now John's, like, picture of Danny is, like, really just... You know, making me think like Luke and my issue, so I'm 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 gonna to get off the line. <laughs> Tony's gonna log out. Huh. This is John saying, May the force be with you.
And we're back. Hey, guys. Hey, John. So, so we're doing Space 1999 tonight, right? Yes. It's the yeah. Charlton comics. I thought it was Common Writer Build. <laughs> He's got a shovel on his head. At least John's quick on the uptake. All right. How you doing, John? It's been a long day. Yeah. That sucks. Ooh. Well, now we're, we're here and we're going to talk about some... some uh, awesome Star Wars stuff. And, and to, to alleviate Justin's fears in another chat, I did read everything, so we're good. Okay, awesome, awesome. Cool. So, we're all, are we all good as far as that? Does anybody have any last minute questions and or concerns? No. Where do, where do babies come from? Uh, well, as long as I don't fall asleep. Apparently, uh, <laughs> Apparently not from Jabba. That's that's what I know. <laughs> I don't think Jabba knows where he comes from in this issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alright. Go ahead, Tony. Not everybody at once. <laughs> I usually go last just because I say something stupid, so but if you want me to go, I'll go. Say say something stupid first. I will. Go! Force is real. I thought it wasn't, but it is. I want to die now. Bye. <laughs> the, uh, the bug guys were called the Hiromi. The Hiromi. There you go. Okay. Well, yeah, that, I forgot who, I think, was it still Joe Duffy at that point? But I know that, Yeah, like, I uh, think so, yeah. I, I think there was, she, like... She wrote, she wrote most of those post-Jedi issues. That's true. Yeah, I remember reading those somewhere that like she uh, was really big into like Japanese anime and stuff, and like the Nagai were uh, a tribute to Go Nagai. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I could see that. I mean, kind of the style and the look of some of those later. Yeah. Now that you yeah. say that, I, I hadn't read any anime or anything back then, you know, and really since I, I've uh, got into that kind of stuff, I haven't went back and read a lot of these Star Wars books. But now you say that, I, I can see it. Yeah, she 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 apparently got really into manga and, and anime, and she just was like, "I like to go to guy," and like they were tall, strapping, you know, like well not strapping, but uh, kind of bishy. They had like you know the white hair, and they were like you know beautiful yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. 